The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I think I started like most writers do as a reader, the books that just really lit me up that I was passionate about as a kid, as a teenager, you know, in, in school and beyond, those were the books that led the way they sort of pointed me, you know, if I love to read this, I'm going to love writing it. And so I, I kind of followed my bliss with the material I was writing. And that's kind of good because I was always one to want to, you know, I, I loved reading the classics, but I love reading new releases, brand new books, um, to see what, you know, what new ideas were coming out of writers right here and right now. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Number one New York Times bestselling author, Susan Wake spoke to me about why writers need to follow their bliss, how her stories come together like patchwork quilts, and her most summary novel yet, Welcome to Beachtown. Susan is the award-winning, number one New York Times bestselling author of over 50 published novels, with a combined 25 million copies in print, published in 30 countries, and translated into over 20 languages. Her latest, Welcome to Beachtown, is described as the tale of an idyllic California beach town forced to reckon with scandal when a high school valedictorian speech reveals secrets that shake the town to its core. Christy Woodson Harvey, New York Times bestselling author, called the book a masterclass in storytelling, a novel where one thing is for sure, in this beach town, there's always more happening than meets the eye. And Booklist called it the perfect beach read, full of surf, rediscovered love, and second chances. In this file, Susan and I discussed why no one will pay you to be an aspiring writer, how her writing has changed over her 36-year career, her immersive research process, why she never reads her published books, how a left-handed office supply geek writes all her prose, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us.
All right, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. We have the award-winning and number one New York Times bestselling author, Susan Wiggs, is jumping on the podcast today to talk all about writing, the writing life, and her latest. How are you today, Susan? I am great. You actually timed this perfectly because today is probably my favorite day in the life cycle of a book. And it's the day when I have heard back from my editor on the book idea that I pitched to her. And um, she gave me a green light and said, go write that book, Susan. So today is the day. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. That's got to feel good. And and honestly, can't say that, that this has happened before on the show that we've caught an author on that day. So that's pretty cool. Literally. Yeah, I, I didn't plan it that way. But the timing worked out that I'm starting fresh. And I do love to start, but it does feel like the beginning of a very long journey. The journey of <laughs> a thousand miles starts with my first step, right? Of course, of course. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you have made this journey many a time. And um, congratulations on the success and, and of course, uh, the release of the latest, which we're going to talk about. Um, welcome to Beach Town, which I can't wait to dig into. But um, yeah, take us back uh, a little bit as we do with so many authors. So we can talk about this um, superhero ascension and the superhero origin story. Um, yeah, because as I understand it, you know, way back when, and of course, you, you've talked about your love of writing uh, from an early age, but talk to us a little bit about, because um, I understand you were an educator early on, you, you were a Harvard grad, um, and it seemed like your life was going to kind of go in a different direction, didn't it? Um, no, it didn't. I decided that I was a writer before I could read or write or even talk. I would scribble things and babble to my mother and say, now write this down. And she would she would do it. She's actually saved some of the scraps of paper from many, many years back. And so I always knew that I would write, but I'm I'm a very practical person. Um and I always knew I nobody pays you to be an aspiring writer. And so I always knew I I would have a job or a patron of the arts. <laughs> In this day and age, it's 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 a job. So I became a, a writer first, but I was a teacher in order to sustain my passion for writing. And then it turned out that teaching was a, a passion that I, I kind of fell in love with as well. So I, I was fortunate enough to do both for a while. Yeah. So talk a little bit about kind of the, the, the winding journey to bestseller, but um, also kind of the evolution of your writing and how, uh, I mean, you have a prolific career, uh, more than 50 novels now, I'm sure you've probably even lost count. I have lost count. Thank you for for getting me off <laughs> that one. And then, um, but of course, um, yeah, it is really fascinating to see kind of the evolution of your career and the genres and directions that you've chosen to take it in. I think I started like most writers do as a reader. The books that just really lit me up that I was passionate about as a kid, as a teenager, you know, in, in school and beyond, those were the books that led the way. They sort of pointed me, you know, if I love to read this, I'm going to love writing it. And so I, I kind of followed my bliss with the material I was writing. And that's kind of good because I was always 
one to want to, you know, I, I loved reading the classics, but I love reading new releases, brand new books um, to see what, you know, what new ideas were coming out of writers right here and right now. And so I do have my old favorites, but I love picking up a brand new book as well. And so I tended to shape my writing goals around stories that excited me personally and that I wanted to pursue. And my first book was published in 1987. So it's been 36 years for me. And it it doesn't feel like that long. It was kind of shocking when I did the math. But um, I've, like you mentioned, I've drifted through different genres, but they all held things in common. They, um, the historical romances that I started with kind of morphed into more um, contemporary setting novels with love stories. So those were romance as well. And now I'm writing contemporary novels and they probably have a love story, but the central story is usually more about the main character's journey. And so that's where I'm at right now. And of course, um, your latest, Welcome to Beachtown, um, is just that, as you mentioned, a contemporary coming-of-age journey. And definitely talk about the origins uh, uh, and the seeds of the inspiration behind it, because you are a writer that often kind of ta- you know has this kind of rip-from-the-headlines uh, feel to these stories. But obviously, each one is a little bit different in, in the telling. But yeah, talk a little bit about the origins of this latest and kind of what what inspired you to go in this direction with these characters. You know, I I, I almost don't want to admit this, but I should because um, writing often has its roots in something very prosaic. And so what happened, well, there were a couple of things that happened. Um, I, I wrote a book prior to this called Sugar and Salt, and it was about a bakery and a barbecue pit master. And I think I probably gained like five pounds writing that book because I was, uh, you know, ch- channeling the, the the characters in that book. And so for the next one, I thought, well, um, maybe I should write about an athlete so I can get back in shape after sugar and salt. And I knew so I only knew two things. I knew I wanted to write a beach book, a book set at the beach. And I knew I wanted to write about an athlete. And so I sort of asked myself, you know, what kind of athletes do you run into at the beach in Southern California? Oh, that's right, surfers. And I kind of did the deep dive, to coin a phrase, into um, surf culture and surfers. I even went to surf camp. And so um, for me, a story comes together maybe a bit like a like a patchwork quilt. You know, you, you collect these little bits and pieces that are shiny and colorful and they they somehow stimulate some inspiration in you and um, they sort of all go into a basket and what comes out is this story that has a lot of richness and layered um, textures in it. And I really loved writing that one, not just because of the beach setting, but the main character, her name's Nikki, Nikki Graziola. She's kind of a working class gal um, raised by a, a not very skilled young single dad in an in an airstream trailer, and um, it's a it's her coming of age at you know different places in her life as a young girl and a teenager through her young adulthood, and she survives a lot. And um, she was one of these characters that I couldn't 
stop thinking about. You know, I, I just had so much affection for her because she kind of, um, oh, I guess you would say she she embodies all of the striving that you go through when you're really, really passionate about something in your life. And in her case, it was um, not just surfing, and sh- and she became a professional surfer, but um, um, she's also a very talented plein air painter. You know, those are the hmm. painters who go set up an easel somewhere and look at a landscape and paint that. And so I brought that in, too. And it is. It's a really layered, textured um, book that is sort of about all the seasons of a, of a woman's life, I suppose. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Of course, the book uh, described as a tale of an idyllic California beach town forced to reckon with scandal when a high school valedictorian speech reveals secrets that shake the town to its core. And of course, that valedictorian is, is the main character that you mentioned, Nikki. But yeah, uh, exploring kind of dark, the dark side of privilege and class, of course. And I couldn't help but think of <laughs> some of these beach enclaves including, I don't know, Malibu, of course, but even, wasn't Clint Eastwood the mayor of a... Oh, uh, Carmel by the Sea. Yeah, Carmel by the Sea or something. That's funny that you brought that up because when I was trying to visualize what my beach town, it's called Alara Cove. And Alara, uh, the name, it's a made-up town with a made-up name because I needed to shape the town to fit my story instead of the other way around. And Alara um, comes from a Navy acronym um, regarding radiation exposure as low as reasonably achievable, A-L-A-R-A. 
um, because there's a Navy, um, a, a, an abandoned Navy um, fuel station nearby. And I came up with the title right away. But um, yes, I looked at Carmel by the Sea because visually that town just blows my mind. Um, you can look at images of it on online or preferably go there in person. It's just beautiful. And it's it's very iconic, um, you know, the hanging flower baskets and the waterfront and, you know, the piers going out. So I, that was sort of a, a piece of the story that that was shaped around the visual aspect of a beach town. Yeah. And obviously there's quite a bit of privilege and and uh, wealth there, agglomerate around well, it's that. A, it's a ta- you know, you're familiar with the phrase town versus gown? I'm not. Yeah, the locals who, you know, run the gas station and, and clean your boat and, and clean your house and things like that. There's some tension between the locals and the privileged who send their, um, their children to this very very exclusive school that's patterned after, you know, some schools that I read about in California, um, yeah. th- this boarding school. And Nikki, of course, is a charity student, a, a scholarship student at this school. And she just feels like she's got to prove herself um, in some way because she doesn't come from wealth and privilege like most of her peers. And so she does this by trying to be the best at everything, the best surfer, the best, um, you know, the, the, straight A student, the class valedictorian. And she's this achiever, this high achiever who does everything right. But she kind of loses herself as she's trying to prove herself to others, if that makes sense. She kind of loses her own um, deep identity. And so a lot of the story is trying to recoup that after she um, makes this incredibly boner move that I can totally picture a teenager (laughs) doing. You step up to the podium to give your your commencement speech because you're the chosen one and your speech has been read and approved by the authorities and you're about to deliver it. And you realize that you have a bigger truth that you need to share. That's not going to be popular. And so that's kind of where, where we meet Nikki at that moment where she's like, do I, do I give the speech that um, I've, I've prepared or do I blurt out this truth about a really dark secret that has gone on at the school that led to the tragedy, the death of her very best friend? So yeah. obviously she chooses the truth and um, is not thanked for it. She's kind of run out of town on a rail for it. Well, we don't want to do too many spoilers here, of course, uh, but that's a pretty fascinating conceit in and of itself. And I understand part of it was inspired by some kind of real life kind of up to the minute true crime stuff that's been happening and and of course we've all been wrapped by the murdoch murders yes started with a podcast and and i think now it's on maybe netflix or something that was the case in south carolina where there was a very powerful family the murdochs um of south carolina and they kind of owned the county they owned the town and and they were very they were very privileged and a lot of incidents led up to the the culminating incident in the real life story was that the father shot and killed his son and he's now doing time for that but prior to that there were a lot of weird shady happenings and tragedies and the one that really caught me happened well before Alec Murdoch killed his son and that was uh, the son who ultimately was was shot by his father that son i think his name was Paul he went joyriding in a boat at night, six teenagers drinking, carousing, 
And that tragedy is, um, I, I didn't, you know, word for word incorporated in the book, but a tragedy showing teenagers making terrible decisions and getting themselves into a terrible situation is one that happens in the book as well. Remarkable story that, um, and of course, that Netflix series that you mentioned, I believe, um, is pretty fascinating and dark. <laughs> yes, it is. I try to shy away from the dark thing, but I, that's why I I chose to set it at the beach and have surfing and plein air painting and things like that because dark things do happen in life, but we have to figure out a way to incorporate them into our future and the fabric. Or I'm not going to say heal because some things you don't heal with heal from. I mean, the young girl that was lost in the um, boating accident that happened for real. I mean, there's not going to be any healing from that, but you do have to move ahead with your life. And so um, that's a topic that I kind of tackled in the book. Yeah. And interesting and, and very poetic that you would state that. Yeah. Um, and I think you had mentioned, I mean, you talk about the human stories that we repeat over and over again, right? But that in each telling uh, is kind of a unique viewpoint, but you talk about the three R's, I believe, redemption, revelation, and renewal. And that's kind of what you're incorporating in this story, as you, as you say, kind of inspired by uh, grief and loss, but of course, kind of blossoming to something completely different. Well, I think that the, hu- the, the deeply human emotional stories are why we come back to fiction again and again and again. I can't say that any particular book that I've written is unique, but every single one is about a unique set of characters and it's a, it's a different angle. It's a different point of view. And um, I just love doing a deep dive into someone's emotional journey. It's really fulfilling to me as a writer. And when I read it in a book, it's very fulfilling to me as a reader. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, congrats on the latest. Um, obviously, uh, available now. Because, and how are you feeling about how how are you feeling about the uh, promotion and the tour piece? Are you are you getting out there? And uh, I am. Meeting, meeting I, I, I feel good. Um, this is my first um, truly post pandemic book. I had one out last year, and we were still having the lingering effects of the pandemic. Um, and so this is really my first truly post pandemic book. And it's like a breath of fresh air. And I feel so lucky that uh, its pub date was June 21st, I think, no, June 20th. And then next day was the first day of summer. And it's the most summery book I think I've ever written. And so I was able to go to do a library talk near Cleveland. And it was kind of a welcome to summer party and we talked about summer reading and things like that. So I was loving that. I'm loving the feedback that I'm getting. I'm not one to read reviews, good or bad. 
uh, I let my publicist and my my publisher tell me, oh, you're getting good reviews. And I say, isn't that nice? Um, but I don't necessarily want they, they sort of mess with your head. You probably encountered that in your work when somebody reviews anything you've done, good or bad, it's distracting. And it, it kind of pulls your head out of what you're supposed to be doing. And also keep in mind, this book was finished maybe um, almost a year ago. And I've moved on since then. I wrote a Christmas book and that's kind of in the pipeline. And I, and today I'm starting a new one. So I, it's kind of fun to go back and remember what I loved about Welcome to Beach Town. And one of my favorite things to do, and I did just start it this week, is, but I haven't had enough time, is I, I, I never go back and read my published books because it's too cringy for a writer because you can always find a way to do it better. And so instead, I listen to the audiobook because it brings such a new, fresh um, art form to your words and a really talented narrator. And I got a real good one this time. Her name's Brittany Presley. And um, I just love her narration. And I've just um, got through like the first couple of chapters. And it feels like something new to me, even though I'm familiar with the story. So that's how I read my book. So I've had a really good week. I also went to St. Louis. I was on a morning show right after um, a person who makes prints on the ground with steamrollers. <laughs> you never know who you're going to meet on the on the morning show. Um, yeah, so um, I was able to do that appearance and have another library talk. So I've really enjoyed it. And probably my favorite moment was this, there's a woman who's a cookie artist. You've seen, you know, these cookies that look exactly like whatever. <laughs> and she, she made cookies um, with the exact artwork on my book. I think I put it on my Instagram feed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I should point out my Instagram feed is Susan underscore Wiggs underscore. And my website is SusanWiggs.com. And it's got the links to all of the social media that I do try to hide from. But I, it, it is fun to connect with readers. And it's fun to show what's going on. Very cool. Yeah, of course, I'll link to your home base there. And as you noted, uh, all of your socials are connected there. So that's a great way to connect with the author. SusanWiggs.com, latest. Welcome to Beach Town. Yeah, um, I can't wait to get your inspiration to fellow scribes, but also uh, talk a little bit about your process. And I understand this is a cool, I think, cool factoid that you pen all of your books longhand, like in a notebook. Uh, that, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's a habit that goes back. Um, when, when I was a kid, we lived overseas. We lived in Brussels and then we lived um, in Versailles, France. And um, there was something about um, dragging a notebook everywhere I went and writing in it that kind of ingrained myself. I'm not working unless I'm physically writing. It's kind of like knitting a book. And so I, I, I'm one of these office supply geeks or snobs or whatever. I love a really lovely notebook with creamy paper. And um, I use a fountain pen because I'm left-handed and the lefties out there will understand why, because when you're writing with your left hand, if you don't have quick drying, really quality ink, you'll end up smearing your sleeve across the page as you write. So I get out <laughs> my fountain pen, I get out my fancy notebook and um, I've already done what 
Some people call an outline. Some people call it a synopsis. And I've got two of those. I usually have a short, punchy one that I will um, pitch to my literary agent and my editor. And once they say go, get going, then I do a more detailed outline um, beginning, middle, end. I try not to overwork it because I want to leave plenty of room for the book to take on a life of its own and to surprise me. Um, one example in Welcome to Beachtown is um, the storyline between Nikki and her father, Guy Graziola, was a real minor point in the synopsis. But as I wrote the book, it became a really, really big touchstone for those two characters, their, their relationship. So, and that just came along, it sort of grew naturally out of the story I was telling. So I like to leave room for that. But then I turn off all the distractions, except I might make a playlist of music that sort of evokes the, the feeling of the book for me. And, um, and I just write and hope that I don't lose my notebook because there's no backup. <laughs> there's oh no backup copy until I type it up. <laughs> <laughs> and Amazing. that used to be, yeah, I, I used to really drag my feet on that, but um, and and I would when I was first getting started, I would write you know two hundred pages in a notebook, and I realized if I lose this, you know, I've lost but a half a year of work, so I would keep it in my freezer because I thought, well, that's the last place that will burn if the house burns down. <laughs> And now Amazing. with cell phones, I'll just scan each page with my phone at the end of the day. So there's a copy of it somewhere out there. <laughs> so cool. So you <laughs> do you have a, okay, so you scan them so you're not worried about the house burning down, but do you have like a, a fireproof safe now or something? Uh, or? No, because I just scan it at the end of the day with the, with the phone now. So I don't need that because safes wouldn't work for me because I never can remember combinations and pin codes and stuff. But um, ultimately, you do have to type it up. And I th another reason that I started out writing in longhand is that I'm not fond of I don't like to sit and type. And um, thank goodness, technology has freed me from that as well, because now I can take my handwritten draft and just read it basically into my phone and email it to myself. So that has been, it's not pretty, you know, it's not interesting to hear, <laughs> but um, I get this raw text and then I can edit it and, you know, work with it in, in word perfect or word. So that's it. And that process for me, you know, the first draft, it takes a, oh gosh, a good half a year to a year, I would say. And then the editing another half a year just to shape it into the, the book that I, I want to publish. I have a really lovely situation with my literary agent. It's, it's Meg Ruley at the Jane Rosen agency. We've been, we've been a couple for years and um, my editor, Rachel Kahn at, at William Morrow an imprint at Harper Collins. They're both incredibly intuitive and insightful and creative. And, and I also have a writer's group. So for writers out there, um, I encourage you to connect with other writers on some level. I'm not saying, you know, sit down and, and critique and edit each other to death, but it's great to talk shop like you and I are doing right now and compare notes. I'm always convinced that another writer has the secret and they haven't told me yet. So I love talking to writers. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, well, that's so cool. And an inspiring story and process. Um, to hear about and uh, a little bit different than a lot of other writers. So can, do you feel like you can write anywhere? Or you, can yeah. you get out to a cafe, a coffee shop? 
I do. I, I have, and I do. I, I have to admit that when I'm home in, you know, on my patio or, you know, in my living room or something, that's probably my most productive, but I love to travel. I love to go boating. I live on an Island. Um, and so I can basically drag my manuscript along anywhere. I think a writer's um, tools of the trade, I, writing has got to be the most portable craft there is. Except maybe, I don't know, wandering minstrel or somebody who just walks and sings. But um, yeah, we, we need very minimal equipment. And um, and in fact, I had a discussion with my, my CPA because he was, you know, asking me, you know, you, you get to deduct things that you spend the money on. And he was like, well, don't you need a new computer every year? No, not really. Um, no. <laughs> Office supplies are still very affordable. So I, and I love doing that. I love taking it along with me. It's interesting to do, to write in public. Sometimes people are very curious about what you're doing, especially if you're drinking while you're writing in this, you know, this copious page after page in a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Um, well, it would be cool to see Susan Wiggs in the wild, enjoying a beverage. But of course, uh, I want to wrap up here with a fun one before we get your final uh, pearl of wisdom to fellow writers. Um, yeah, quick one. If you could have any author from any era to an all-expense paid uh, outing, be it drinks or a dinner, who would you take and where would you take them? I would take Anne Frank, hands down. I, w- I was obsessed with that book as a child, and it's still one of the most beautiful, important pieces of writing that I can think of. And I would, I would feed her, I would give her medicine, I would heal her and let her grow into the person that she should have become she, you know, before her life was cut short. Um, and I'd love to have her right here on my patio. It's a gorgeous day in the Pacific Northwest. I'm looking at Mount Rainier and a ferry boat going by, and beautiful would it be to sit there oh shit i made myself cry <laughs> sit here with anne frank and get her thoughts on things i mean i she was she's one of my personal heroes so yeah it would be that one amazing amazing um well again thank you for your time your words your wisdom and yeah just any final pearl on just how to how to persevere you know that is the one and I think this is really, really simple, but we, we all want to skip it. And that is something that my, my dad would say to me. And he would say, put in the hours and don't stop until you're proud. Wow. That is a very important piece and a really great way to wrap up. And we thank you again for your time. Best of luck on the latest and the next one. Um, we'll be excited to hear about that. And please come back anytime and, and chat with us. Oh, thank you. This was delightful. What a great break in the middle of my writing day. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.